You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. I, I Just had to get that out of my system. White guy problems. All right. So some years ago, I was really fascinated by that movie, 21 Grams. Did you see that movie? Uh, it was starring... Sean Penn, Benicio Del Toro, uh, Naomi Watts, and in this movie they say that we all lose 21 grams at the exact moment of death, and so that is the weight of a stack of nickels, a chocolate bar, a hummingbird. And what they're suggesting in the movie is that the human soul weighs 21 grams, and once a person dies, you could weigh them after the moment of death, and they would weigh 21 grams less. Now, I'm not quite sure of the science behind the 21-gram theory, but I can say this, that I know a lot of pastors who are regularly there at the moment of death. I know people in our own church who work in hospice, and they're regularly there observing people in the moments of death. I've had almost probably hundreds of conversations with people who have been bedside with friends and relatives, loved ones, that they watch at the moment of death. And most of them say something very tangible happens when someone dies. It's almost like something very tangible leaves their body and is present in the room. Now, one of these conversations I had with lifelong friend uh, Johnny Jett. I mean, we grew up together. We played football, baseball, basketball together. Um, and I watched his family after they went through uh, a very terrifying experience. Johnny's mom was in a car wreck, and she flatlined when the emergency people got her to the hospital. She flatlined there. They were trying to resuscitate her and bring her back um, as she was basically dead for all practical purposes. And what happened was is that the doctors, thank God, were able to bring her back, and she uh, lived to tell about it. And she was able to explain to the doctors the procedures they were doing on her when they were bringing her back to life. And then she was able to tell the family members the conversations that they were having in another room, in the waiting room, while she was flatlined. Pretty creepy to me, pretty interesting to me, pretty freaky to me, but I watched that family as they were changed, they became more heavenly-minded. Now, have you ever heard people talk about religious people who are so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good? Well, you know what we want to do today? We want to completely turn that around, and I want to suggest one simple idea to you today, and that's we want to get so heavenly-minded, we're actually more earthly good in the way we love and serve humanity uh, here in our city. Now, last week, Humby showed us the story of Dr. Mary Neal. She's a spine surgeon from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and she's not the type of person that needs to make up wild tales of near-death experiences and seeing heaven in order to sell books. But I want to uh, tell you a little bit of her story. She was dead for 30 minutes when her kayak got lodged underneath a rock beneath a waterfall. She was dead for 30 minutes. And here's her story by way of video of her near-death experience. Take a look. You're greeted by this 
Welcoming Welcome. committee? Yes. What was it? That's what some it people talk about. It was a welcoming committee. I absolutely knew that they were there to welcome me and greet me and make me feel loved and comfortable. And I also knew that they were there to protect me. And Protect you from what? I don't know. But you knew that? I absolutely knew that that was part of it, even though I don't know from what they were protecting me. They had physical form. And like humans, they like had arms, head, arms, legs. They were wearing uh, robes of sort, but they were absolutely exploding with a pure, pure love. And it was as though uh, they were sort of like the Northern Lights in that they were of a physical form, but the edges were a little indistinct. They were radiating a brilliance that. Um, is certainly indescribable. It's sort of translucent, pearlescent, uh, shimmery, light. a brilliance of light, just exploding in it. And the light was not just something you would see. If you look at the sun, you see light and it's blinding. This was really a, a light born out of love. I, I don't know quite how else to explain it. So from your, from your experience of these people, these spiritual beings, what are, what are, what's your sense of what relationship was like? Well, that's really clear because there is no doubt that the only thing that truly matters is loving God and being a window through which God's light can shine to this world and loving each other. So, I mean, from your experience, you think you will recognize your husband and your kids and... Oh, you mean after... Yeah. Afterward. When, when we're all there. Yes. I absolutely think that people who are important in our life, and I'm not really sure what the right word is, but our life circle, and it may be relatives or it may be people that come into our lives for a very brief period of time and have a profound impact, those may also be part of our, our life's neighborhood. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it, but yes, I do think that we are all still there in heaven. I think that we do recognize each other. I was able to see many, again, people, angels, spirits, I'm not sure, very busy. And I don't know what they were doing. Inside the archway. Inside. They were all very busy. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something and clearly doing God's work. And so was it like a city bustling with light? Yes. Life or? It was bustling is a great word for it. I didn't particularly look around because I was focused on what was happening to were me you immediately. Through, and, through the archway? I, I looked through and could see all this bustling people bustling about. And when I arrived, there was this momentary acknowledgement and not cheering, but almost like fantastic welcome. And this, this outpouring of love for me. And again, it was this profound sense of, wow, I, not only do I not deserve this, but it was this profound sense of 
uh, understanding that that is how each person is created. Mm. I mean, there are billions of us, but that is how much each God loves each special. person. Yes. And so when you think about the afterlife, what do you think happens to us after we die? And as you think about relationships as it relates to the afterlife, um, what do you think those relationships are going to be like? And perhaps some of you um, are longing for something more in your relational world. Maybe even if you have good relationships now, you're longing for a deeper sense of connection and unity with the people around you. You know, I think that C.S. Lewis speaks well of that, uh, the great scholar and philosopher, when he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so as we imagine heaven today, I want to take a closer look at relationships in the afterlife and how that works out. Now, in order to do that, we're going to need to go to the New Testament of the Bible um, and look at a story in the Gospels. And I'm going to need uh, some help from a couple of you uh, in order to do this. And so, Gwen, since you're sitting right down there in the front row, and I know you, you're at danger here. So go ahead and stand up, Gwen. And uh, sir, would you go ahead and stand up next to her real quick? And sir, would you stand up real quick? Um, thank you guys for your help. Great beard, by the way. We need more great beards like that. They're manly and biblical, you know. So here's the way that this story worked in the New Testament. There were these guys called the Sadducees, and they did not believe in an afterlife. And so they're trying to create a scenario and a question for Jesus that he can't answer because they want to make a fool of him. And so they tell this story about this woman represented in Gwen here, and she's married. And so we're going to pretend like you guys are married, even though that's not, I don't want to be awkward here, but you know, we're pretending for the sake of our story that these two are married right here. And what happens is, is that he eats a bad taco or something, and he gets food poisoning, okay? It must have been one of those Austin tacos, because we know that uh, the Austin tacos are way inferior to the San Antonio tacos, which are the greatest tacos in the world. And so it's a lesson. Don't eat those Austin tacos. You'll be food poisoned and you'll die. And so, sir, I'm sorry, great beard or not, you're dead right now. So go ahead and take a seat. Um, and now we're going to pretend like that, um, that she has to marry uh, his brother. Because see, according to the custom of that day, to honor your brother, you wanted to carry on his family line there. And so you would marry your brother's widow. That's weird, isn't it, for us today? I mean, some of you are thinking, yeah, it's great if I'm single and my brother's wife was really hot, you know? But uh, others of you are thinking, man, my brother's wife is a battle axe, man. I want no part of that woman. <laughs> but, here's, but she had to, you're not a battle axe, Gwen, I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> just for the, yeah. So now these two are married, but it happens again. The second brother in line there, he walks out in traffic. He gets hit by a speeding camel. I'm sorry. And now you're dead. So go ahead and take a seat there. And this happens a total of seven times. There are seven brothers in this family. So I'm thinking of all kinds of ways she could die now because uh, at the end of it, she's got a broken heart and finally... Gwen dies. So go ahead and take a seat. And here's the question. Okay, think about it. She was married to all seven 
of the brothers in this life. Now go to the Bible in Matthew chapter 22, verse 28, and you'll see the question from the Pharisees, or Sadducees, rather. So tell us, they say to Jesus. Can you sense how smug they are when they're saying this? So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. So how will Jesus respond to this question? We'll take a look at the next verse, uh, verse 29 of Matthew 22. Jesus replied, your mistake is you don't know the scriptures, first of all, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. That's kind of odd, isn't it? And I know that's a bummer for some people. Some people, um, you love your marriage and you love that connection and relationship that you have and the intimacy that you have. But in heaven, there will be no need for procreation. So there won't be within people the desire uh, to be married in that way. But here's what you've got to understand, is that at whatever level you feel a sense of unity, intimacy, and connection with your spouse, if you multiply that times infinity, that is the, the feeling of connection that you'll have with your spouse in heaven. But here's the deal. You'll feel that with everyone in heaven. We will all be connected, but right now we're finite. That is, we're limited. And we only have so much relational space. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you don't have the capacity to feel close and intimate with, with more than, say, maybe 50 or so people in your life right now. But in heaven, you'll be so drastically and completely changed, you'll be able to feel this close sense of unity and connection with everyone who's there because everyone there will be family. Everyone there will be blood relatives because all of us there will have been purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. That's the connection we'll have because heaven is all about love and unity. It's about love there. That's why just a few verses after Jesus tells this story, a few verses later, look what he says in Matthew 22, 37. You must what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. You what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, uh, most of you have heard that verse before, right? You know that. That's not new information. You're like, okay, yeah, Pastor Doug, I know that. I've heard it a million times. I know that the greatest thing is to love God, and then also we're supposed to love other people. And what we do is we brush over that because we've heard it before and we intuitively know we're supposed to love people anyway, don't we? Um, but here's the thing. When you get to heaven, the love will be so tangible. You'll experience it in such a new way that you won't brush over it. You'll, you'll have this euphoria of love, unity experience while you're there. Love will emanate from everyone and it will ultimately have come from God. Now, since heaven is all about love and relationship, um, we see uh, some believers, and maybe you've heard some Christian believers, talk about when they die, they, they say, I'm going home. Have you ever heard that? Someone's going to die and they say, I'm going to go home. I can't wait to get home. Because there's, what they're saying there is that, that heaven, home, is not just a house, is it? When you have a home, it's not just a house or apartment or a flat or whatever. Home is a place of love 
unconditional acceptance and relationship, isn't it? And so that's why Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, look at it with me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's what? Home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And when you're secure that you have a home, it's a game changer for you, isn't it? Have you ever met someone who's really insecure about where they're going to be, where they're going to live, what uh, uh, relationships that they uh, can really trust? Well, when you are secure that you have an ultimate home, when you're unconditionally accepted and loved, it changes the way you're able to express love to other people in this reality. You become heavenly minded in such a way you're, you're secure in your heavenly home that you can be more earthly good to others. Now, throughout the Bible, you'll see 59 times what's called one another's. The one another's are what gives people a glimpse of heaven now in this reality. It's ways that we can interact with other people, the one another's are. We're not going to have time to uh, look at all 59 of the one another's, but I'm going to look over just a few of them. And as I do so, when I read these, I want you to say the words one another as they come up in the text. You ready for this? Okay, here we go. Let's start in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19:11. Do not deceive. Good. John 13, 14, wash one another's feet. It's a, uh, an act of humility. Then there's John 13, 34, love as I have loved you so that you must love. Then Romans 12, 10, be devoted to in brotherly love. Honor above yourselves. Then there's Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with. Good. Romans 14, 13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on Good. Romans 15, 14, instruct. Good. Romans 16, 16, greet with a holy kiss. By the way, when you greet one another with a holy kiss at church, don't kiss on the lips and be a creeper, okay? Let's just keep that right there, you know, on the kind of, you touch cheeks, kind of, right? Okay, that's the way we do that one. Then there's Ephesians 4, 2, where be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with in love. And then there's Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And so when you live out the one another's, it's like you're being more heavenly minded so that you're more earthly good to the people around you. Now, there was a kid named Ben Breedlove who enjoyed the love of his family and his friends at the Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. And during his young life, he had two near-death experiences. I want you to take a look at Ben Breed Love Story by way of video. My name is Ben, and I'm 17. Ben Breedlove seemed to be the kind of kid everyone wanted to be. Bright, eternally cheerful, with his own popular TV show on YouTube. This is the best place for girls and guys to find the answers you need. He practically grew up on the lake behind his family's Austin, Texas home. Wake surfing was, to him, as natural as taking a walk. Woo! 
But Ben was also born with a condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a thickening of the heart muscle that can cause high blood pressure and sudden cardiac arrest. At various times in his life, Ben's heart did fail, but for him, it seemed those near-death episodes were always, somehow, a reason to smile. At age four, Ben almost died during a violent seizure. But when he woke up in the hospital, he saw something he could barely describe to his parents, Sean and Deanne. We were being wheeled down a hallway, and he commented to me that there was this white light above him. And he even said it was a pitch white light. It's right above me. Do you see it? And I said, no. Well, and it was significant because the yeah. hallway that they were being wheeled down, there were no lights on in that hallway. Ben recovered, but the vision stayed with him. As the years passed, Ben's life looked pretty much like any other kid's. On bad days, his heart would act up and he'd have to take it easy. And on good days, he'd do things not for the faint of heart. He had this adventurous spirit, and you didn't hold him back. Well, <laughs> that you know of. <laughs> but Ben Breedlove was always mindful of the fact that his days might well be numbered. In December 2011, while changing classes at Austin's Westlake High, Ben suddenly collapsed on a bench in cardiac arrest. The school nurse and emergency techs managed to bring him back, and later on, Ben described what he believed was another glimpse of heaven. He said he was in a white room and the peace was more than he could explain. He couldn't describe it. And he told big sister Allie that he'd seen a place he didn't want to leave. I asked him if he was happy that he had woken up, and he said, I guess, and he started crying really hard. And that was really difficult for me to hear as his sister. You know there are some people who say, oh, these visions can be explained mm -hmm. by medicine. That wasn't heaven. That's just what happens when your heart stops. What would you say? I could just see it in his eyes, this peace that he felt. He said it was unexplainable. Two and a half weeks later, on Christmas Day 2011, Ben was out by the trampoline playing with kid brother Jake when his heart gave out again. 18-year-old Ben Breedlove had cheated death before, but this time would be different. All the medical things went on for quite a while in the backyard and in the ambulance. And that whole time, I just wondered where Ben really was. If he was still here in his body or if he had gone to where he couldn't wait to go. But when the heartbroken family came home from the hospital the next morning, a friend told them they hadn't seen the last of Ben. Not really. And as they were leaving, my business partner's wife said, and you're really going to like the video. And we said, what video? A few days before he died, Ben had made this. It was his story, told without a single spoken word, about his struggles in this life and his vision of the next. As we watched that video, our son was smiling big. He was alive, almost like he was giving us a message. 
But the message wasn't just for them, and within a few days, it caught the world's attention. All around the world with a video he posted on YouTube. A rising star on YouTube will gather this afternoon at his funeral ben in Austin. Ben Breedlove was just 18, but left behind a... For millions, video. Ben Breedlove's vision of something beyond death seemed to be just what they were longing to hear. Within hours, people started posting their own videos with their own messages of inspiration and hope. YouTube says that as of this morning, Ben's video has been viewed more than 12 million times. Allie Breedlove, who wrote about her brother in a new book, says she's only been able to bring herself to watch the video a couple of times. The only reason that I'm able to cope with missing him every day is because I believe that he is more alive now than he's ever been. In 2011, an Associated Press poll of American adults asked, do you believe in angels? Nearly eight out of 10 said yes. Thanks to Ben Breedlove, there may well be a few more. So Ben Breedlove was a kid who was so heavenly minded, he became more earthly good. He created that video to encourage people all over the world about a positive afterlife. And here at City Church, we're seeking to give people a glimpse of heaven in the here and now. By the way, we love and serve the poor and the oppressed. By the way, that we welcome the emotionally and spiritually broken into our family. By the way, we model loving, unified relationships. By the way, that we're willing to have spiritual conversation with spiritual investigators so that they can come into a love relationship with Christ as well. In fact, this year we've had a lot of people begin relationships with Christ in our church, and because of that, we've seen 161 people baptized in our church this far, that, thus far, and we're not done yet. You know that we're having another baptism on uh, October the 9th, and if you would like to be baptized on that day, make sure and get signed up for that. But our mission is this. We exist to help people far from God become devoted Christ followers. We want to invite more and more people to experience heaven now and ultimate heaven later. Now, one of the things that I love to do personally is I like taking friends to little obscure coffee shops and restaurants uh, so that they can experience, you know, local food. And what I really love is when I take someone to a little hole-in-the-wall restaurant somewhere and they eat it and they're like, dude, thank you so much for showing me this place. I just didn't know about this place and I love it when they, when they had that experience. So um, this past week, um, our worship leader, Jake, and I were going to go have lunch, and he had read on Yelp about this little taco place on South Presa. And so I said, let's go get in the car, and we'll go. So we got in the car. We got down to that little taco place, and it was those really good little tacos, you know, those little street taco. It's not the big Mamba Jambas, but it's the little ones, you know. And we got there, and we got the barbacoa ones, and we got the chicken ones, you know, and we got like two plates, and then we kind of mixed them and shared them, you know. And he had read about those tacos on Yelp, that they were good. But you should have seen him when Jake put the taco in his mouth. He had read it before, but now he believed, <laughs> right? He believed because he tasted it. And then doesn't the Bible say, 
taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's why some of you were brought here today is so that you could taste and get a glimpse of how good the Lord is. And he's good in his intentions for you. He's so good. He's over the top in his heart for you. He's not against you. He's for you. And someday there are people here who will be in heaven. And the friend who brought you here, you'll tell them, dude, thank you for taking me to that goopy church in downtown San Antonio so that I could hear about Jesus, so I could be here forever, where I see my grandmother that I miss so much or my mom that passed away who is now here. Dude, thank you for showing me this place. And some of you already know because of what's happening in your heart right now that God, by his loving hands, brought you here so that you would hear about Jesus, about how you can get into heaven, about how you can experience close unity, connection, and love with God and other people in this life before you get there. And so with that in mind, how about we bow for prayer? And as we bow, you already know, some of you, that this loving presence that's beyond anything that you have ever experienced is drawing you towards God today. I want you to pray to God. There are some of you that are praying to God for the first time in your whole life. And you don't have to speak the words out loud because he's so powerful he can read your thoughts. But I want you to just think prayer to God right now. Just say, God, look, I know I've messed up. I know I've sinned. But right now, God, I choose to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died there to erase my sin. He died there as my substitute to take the punishment that I deserved. And so, God, I welcome you into my life. The second prayer is for those of us that have known Christ for many years. Maybe we'd want to pray something like this to God. God, help me to be so heavenly minded that I am more earthly good. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.